Parent Show, sponsored by Raiden Solicitors, award-winning specialist family lawyers. See RaidenSolicitors.co.uk. And welcome to the Parents Show on Radio Verulam 92.6 FM. It's great to have you with us this evening uh, for our fourth of four shows on ADHD on the Parents Show. We've had an incredibly interesting journey over the last four weeks coming in at ADHD from so many different angles, so many different authoritative voices who've given us incredible insights and, and great tips And now to wind up the fourth show, I'm really, really pleased to be speaking to James Wenger, who is a dad who has ADHD and who is the father of a child with ADHD. He's also an entrepreneur and is studying a master's in applied neuroscience. So he has so many interesting things to tell us about ADHD from a personal and from a professional perspective. So we're looking forward to talking to James in just a little bit. But I just want to reflect a little bit on the shows that we've been doing this month. We really focused on ADHD because you, our listeners, parents, came to us and told us that you wanted us to focus on ADHD. So we've gathered brilliant minds great voices on the subject over the last four weeks to bring you the latest information about ADHD, whether it's for you as a parent or for your child or for somebody who you know um, whose daughter or son has ADHD or whether it's just because there's somebody with ADHD in your class and you want to understand it a little bit better. So, Take a moment, if you have the time, to have a look through our our podcast series of The Parents Show. And um, it's worth a listen to the other other great guests that we've had over the last few weeks. I'll just give you a brief reminder of who we spoke to over the weeks. So we spoke to Dr. Abby Russell from University of Exeter Medical School in depth about ADHD. And literally, there isn't a question that she couldn't answer on the subject Then we spoke to Mel Peake, who's ADHD and Autism Lead at Advance, the ADHD and Autism Trust. And when you're looking for Advance, it's ADD hyphen Vance, V-A-N-C-E, which is a Hertfordshire based charity that works uh, extensively on ADHD and autism. And again, fabulous, fabulous tips and tricks from from Mel on understanding ADHD from a very practical and personal perspective. I'd really recommend a listen. And then we listened to and spoke to Rachel Grant Waters from Abingdon House School and College. And her focus is on ADHD and she's a SEN teaching assistant who also has ADHD. And last but not least, on the topic of ADHD, but also to the broader broader idea of parenting in stressful sometimes situations, we spoke to Professor Roz Shaffron and Ursula Saunders, who wrote a book, How to Cope When Your Children Can't, that has just been newly released and gives us fantastic tips on, on how to parent in stressful situations or challenging situations. So I hope you've enjoyed them. Um, I hope you share them with people who you know, and I hope you've learned even half as much as I did out of it because it was a really, really fantastic journey for me personally to hear about it because so many friends of mine have children with ADHD. And I think 
the problem is quite often there's a lack of understanding, certainly on my part, of what ADHD, having ADHD means and stepping into the shoes of, of a child or a parent who has ADHD is so important for us to understand our community a little bit better and understand how we can lend a helping hand where needed as as fellow parents. So I hope you enjoy the show. We're going to be speaking to James in just just a few minutes. So stay tuned on Radio Verulam 92.6 FM. Thanks for joining us. I'm delighted to continue our conversation about ADHD over the last few weeks on the Parents Show with an excellent guest. I'm going to welcome in just a couple of minutes, James Wenger, who is a dad with ADHD of a child with ADHD. And James is a businessman, entrepreneur and an academic who works in and around neuroscience. So, James, thank you so much for joining us on the Parents Show this evening. Thank you for having me. So, tell us a little bit about your experience of neurodivergence from your personal perspective, but also from from a professional perspective. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I guess probably we'll we could run this as a bit of a, a story of how I how I got to where I I've got to. So, I have ADHD, um, but I didn't get my diagnosis until very late in life. So there was an interesting little journey on on the way there. And I guess, as perhaps some of you are seeing with your, your children, maybe at primary school, maybe maybe later on, maybe at secondary school, you might be seeing some, some differences, some things that they're perhaps struggling with, and you're not sure why. And that's really how it was for me. So I, I had an awful lot of fun, um, in inverted commas, at school. I had challenges with doing the sorts of things and learning in the sorts of ways that my school friends uh, were learning, even down to, you know, having all sorts of problems with getting my ideas out in a way that were understandable to other people. I was also incredibly accident prone, which is something that tends to happen quite a lot with people with ADHD. So I spent quite a lot of time in the hospital. And I, you know, I remember at one point in primary school, smashing my hand up pretty badly having to have specialists come down and heading into school after they'd sorted my hand out a bit with some creative writing that I'd produced on a typewriter because I couldn't write having smashed my writing hand. And I had a teacher at the time who didn't really understand any of this sort of stuff uh, and uh, decided I couldn't possibly have written that piece of creative writing because it didn't seem to match with what they'd seen in the classroom, tore it up, told me that I hadn't done it. So I ended up trying to teach myself to write with my left hand as a, as a result of that. So I had quite a, a, a difficult experience when it got to secondary school, all sorts of things like managing my timetable, making sure I was going to the right lessons. I ended up coming up with, I guess, sorts of coping strategies where I'd follow the other kids around who knew where they were going because I'd never remember from, from one day to the next what the lessons were supposed to be. And when it came down to homework, you know, I never made a good note of that. And so I used to have a couple of friends that I'd then get in contact with in the evening and say, what is it we were supposed to be doing again? So quite an interesting perspective with learning in a different way. Managed to get some GCSEs. Uh, the teachers I remember at the time were quite surprised that I'd achieved the grades that I had. They weren't particularly stellar, but they they weren't as well as I knew I could do. They were good enough to start A-level, so I went on to do that and lasted for about a week before I dropped out. So again, another thing that's fairly common. With ADHD. And from then I went on to become I don't know, a turfer, did some tarmacking. I was a building site labourer, eventually got a job working in an accounts department in a newspaper. Computer system in there broke. 
I could fix it, but I wasn't able to because I didn't have the right bits of paper. And when the engineer came in, they said, oh, you can uh, you can go to college for this. So in a not at all impulsive way, <laughs> I quit my job and went to college. And I studied computer studies, did incredibly well because I found out how I learn by that point, which was different to the way I was taught in school, then went on to do a degree in computer science, and then went on to start a PhD in computer science and artificial intelligence, which I never finished because I got distracted and excited by a startup company, which I then grew, joined another company, grew that. And it was during the time of my work with the second company that I had my first child. And as we were going through various things with his schooling and uh, other bits and pieces, it became obvious that he was having some problems and things were a little different. And for me, these were just normal. And I said, well, these are normal, aren't they? And um, turns out they weren't. And so we started to pursue the pathway for an ADHD diagnosis with him. And because all of these things seemed so familiar to me, and um, because I'd then done an awful lot of reading around this sort of stuff and knew it was highly heritable, I thought, well, I probably ought to go and get it checked out. So I did. And I ended up with my diagnosis, which answered a, a huge number of questions. We eventually sold that business that I was involved in after I got my diagnosis. And I wanted to find an awful lot more about this sort of stuff. So uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm now studying applied neuroscience at King's College London. And I've spent quite a lot of time in various bits of project work using ADHD as the vehicle for things that I'm I'm looking at. As well as all of those sorts of things, I'm still an entrepreneur and I give talks on neurodivergence and I'm involved in several other groups. So I guess that's my personal journey. From a professional perspective, I was very fortunate when I got involved with the startup that I got to decide or try to decide, try and make sure we could get things done right for the people that worked, which meant, worked for us, which meant whatever adjustments people needed, we'd try and make those happen. Now, I didn't know I was neurodivergent at the time. I just knew I was different. And I knew that I worked better when things could suit the way I worked. And I wanted that to be the case for everybody else. And when we sold that company to, to an acquiring company, they had the same sort of philosophy. And so we were instrumental in driving that. So we didn't really have a, a neurodivergent policy. But what we did have was a policy on just making sure people were supported in whatever they needed to do, whether it was a neurodivergent condition or, or something else. We didn't really make a distinction. So we were really lucky. So I was really lucky in my professional experience that going into a startup and then a company that acquired the startup, I got a chance to drive a lot of that. But I know that's certainly not the case for a lot of organisations and a lot of people. And that's clearly something that <laughs> needs needs addressing absolutely and James you, you've you've triggered so many questions for in, in my head from what you've told us already and that's a fabulous and fantastic journey and you know it's it's great that, great that you've weathered so many challenges and I'm sure there are lots of other people out there with ADHD who've, who've got similar stories unfortunately how did you feel when you got your your diagnosis was it was it a relief? Was it cathartic? How would you describe it? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's interesting because I was a little conflicted before getting my diagnosis because I, I wasn't really sure how I would feel. And I wasn't really sure how other people would take it if I then decided to tell them about it, assuming I got the diagnosis. But 
<laughs> as my son was going through the, the process of getting a diagnosis, and because I knew that this was highly heritable, which means highly genetic in origin as a condition, I had to put that to one side and say, well, is this going to be helpful for him? Uh, so I got my diagnosis and my concerns and areas where I was conflicted seemed to disappear fairly quickly because I then knew here was a thing that was going to help him. But more importantly, all of a sudden, here was an explanation for why I'd had so many problems or challenges that I'd come up with all sorts of interesting ways of, of overcoming, you know, way before the cloud was a thing for um, storing documents and files. I was effectively using cloud storage because otherwise I'd lose whatever it was I was working on wherever I was. But suddenly having the diagnosis, which provided me an explanation for why I needed to do those things, was really a great relief. So for me, it was all positive once I got it. Brilliant. And it, it sounds like you're you're on a little bit of a mission. I mean, a very, very noble and, and and worthwhile mission to make lives better for people with ADHD. Is is would that be fair enough to say? Yeah, it, it would. I mean, I'm I'm fortunate enough now to be in the position where it doesn't really bother me what a potential employer might think. But it really bothers me that people are in a position where they're bothered about what a potential employer might think. And a lot of that is based on people just not understanding these conditions at all. And so, yeah, it would absolutely be fair to say I'm, I'm on a bit of a mission around this, which is why I'm involved in some academic groups, advocacy. And it's why I'm also involved in delivering content to entrepreneurs and business owners and managers to try and help them understand that there are great advantages that can be unlocked if they treat people like people and not like defective objects. Which is great. And I'm, I'm glad you're getting a, a platform. I'm glad you're getting a voice out there because we've been on a bit of a journey in the parents show over the last few weeks, learning from fantastic people like Abby Russell, Mel Peak about ADHD and the incredible, valuable resource people with ADHD are and how Unfortunately, our society, it's catching up, but it hasn't caught up yet, really, has it? No, it, it really hasn't. And, you know, talking about great and interesting people that could do interesting things. There was uh, some research that was published a few years ago that was trying to look at some historical figures. And uh, there's a particular historical figure that was uh, an anatomist, an artist, an inventor, an engineer, created a flying machine prototype drew a little painting that some of you may have heard of called the Mona Lisa. It's a guy called Leonardo da Vinci. And he, he never had the success in life that he should have done because he never finished anything. He Everything was very, very typical ADHD, science of things. But can you imagine what it would be like if you had a society that was able to see those advantages and able to see the support that they needed to give? How much further we would have got if we all embraced those difficulties that people like Leonardo da Vinci have in order to get the great benefits from the inventions and the art and the science that, that he produced. Yeah, absolutely. So talk to us a little bit about the work you're doing and how that might impact positively on, on the challenges that maybe your son will face or, or you would have faced. Yeah, I mean, I guess the, 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 the biggest thing doesn't come from any of the academic stuff it, it really comes from just trying to 
talk to people and and educate them. So, um, you know, you had you, you had Dr. Abby Russell on. She's fantastic, by the way, um, and she's working very hard on trying to get uh, a lot more awareness in schools to help. Um, and, and I'm trying to do some stuff to help her with that project as well, where we can we can put some more stuff out into those schools because I think tackling schools and the wider community is the place where you're going to have the biggest difference rather than, you know, sitting and looking at various genetic stuff in a, in, in a lab, as interesting as that, as that may be. Um, so I think that's where the widest impact is going to come, but that won't come without the underpinning of the science behind it. And, you know, I appreciate this may be somewhat tangential, but there's some really interesting stuff in those genetics that you can use as a way of trying to help people understand. So, I mean, I guess we could we could talk about that a little bit if you're. Yeah, I'd love to hear some examples. Okay, so uh, so when you had Abby on, she was talking about things like twin studies as to how we know that ADHD is highly genetically based, and I don't know if you're aware of something called the Human Genome Project, but but a while ago we started trying to sequence the human genome, so basically get get details about all the genes, DNA, the genetics of. Of people and over many years we've been building those databases and we now have enormous genetic databases that we can use to look for all sorts of different patterns in those genomes and so one of the most interesting things is to look at where you have differences and if you can tie those differences to particular conditions you can start to try and determine how much there's a genetic element and what some of those genes are. And there's a, a, a very uh, a complicated process called genome-wide complex trait analysis, which is lots of letters, lots of words, but it's basically taking this massive great genetic string of that we have and thousands and thousands of these records and looking for patterns and seeing how they relate to traits. And ADHD is, 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 a, is a trait or set of traits. And what these studies have done has backed up exactly what Abby was talking about, is saying there's a lot of genes that are involved, but there seem to be quite a lot of ones that are in common and are involved in ADHD. And in fact, the studies using this technique have found that ADHD has perhaps the biggest genetic element of any of the conditions that will affect the way that the brain functions. So, you know, whether it's autism or ADHD or, or something else, the, the genetic element in ADHD is enormous. So if people think this is just bad upbringing or this is a kid that's just choosing not to behave, there's a really, really strong genetic element to it. So I think being able to say that to people really helps them with understanding that perhaps these are not just naughty kids or lazy grown-ups or whatever the presentation may be, but there is a genuine difference based on their genetics on how they process data. Um, th there's another study or type of study, something called a polygenic risk score, which is basically where you do something fairly similar and you look for patterns of genes and you see if the way that some of those genes appear would predict whether somebody has a condition or is more prone to have a, a condition. And those are pretty strong indicators uh, for ADHD, not enough for diagnosis, but certainly enough for further scientific research. There's a really, really strong genetic link based on the sorts of twin studies that Dr. Abby Russell was talking about and on things looking at, at genomes. 
And can you tell us what that means practically? How does how does that help us understand things and how does it make life easier for people with ADHD? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, it doesn't make life easier for people with ADHD. But hopefully, if we're able to show that there's a huge genetic biological element to why some people behave and process information in a different way, then we're not going to assume that they are deliberately misbehaving. We're not going to assume that they are deliberately trying to not do a thing that we expect them to do. And we're not going to think that they're just necessarily being lazy because all of a sudden you can see, well, hang on a minute. There's a slight difference in how they process, or in some cases, a larger difference in how they process information and how they interact with the world. There are, of course, plus sides to to that as well. So if you look at organizations like GCHQ, they are actively recruiting people with these differences. Um, So whether it's ADHD or autism or dyslexia, they're actively recruiting them because the way that these brains process information is different and they're able to spot patterns, they're able to spot connections with all sorts of things in a way that people that don't have these brain differences can't do so well. And GCHQ are not the only organisation doing this. So there are lots of organisations now that are actively trying to recruit people with some of these differences. So I guess it's understanding that they're different they're not broken and that there are some plus sides as well as some of the problems that they have in a I guess what we term a neurotypical or normal for want of a better word set of brain functioning. And the awareness around those elements that you mentioned are it's going to go a long way towards challenging the stigma around ADHD which is unfortunately it is it is there and I suppose that that kind of brings me to my next question for you, James. What do you think are the biggest challenges for you as a dad, to you personally, to your son of having ADHD? Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the real kicker, actually, for me. And that, that, you know, that's the thing that brings a bit of a lump to my throat. So I know that things are going to be tough for him. And I know that no matter what I do to try and make that better, I can't take that away things are going to be tough for him. And I know that from personal experience, you know, as a parent, as a dad, that's a really hard thing to deal with is knowing that I get to look out at the world and I get to look at my son and I know that there are some things that are just going to be tough. And that's really difficult knowing that he's going to fail at some things based on values that people that have a different brain organization deems important. That's hard. And trying to constantly explain that some traits aren't something necessarily under voluntary control and that it's that an individual is working really hard to try and fit in. Those are tiring conversations. You know, effectively educating educators is is tough. So as a as a dad, that's a really, really big challenge. It's and you know it's a really big personal challenge as well. You know, how, how do you not throw in the towel? You know, and I, I guess you, you look at your child and you're their parent. You can't throw in the towel, can you? you you've got to keep going, but it's a challenge and, and, and it's tough. Yeah, I, ca- I can imagine that it's a challenge. And, but, but I can also imagine that it's a huge advantage to your son that you know the, the, the bumps in the road that are potentially going to be there for him and that you can help him navigate it I mean I would imagine it's a lot simpler than a child who doesn't have a parent with ADHD or is hasn't been diagnosed with 
ADHD. Yeah, you, you, you're you're right. I mean, there's 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 certainly an advantage there. You know, the the fact that I have a diagnosis and my son has a diagnosis means you know I do the best that I can to be an example that it's going to be okay. I do the best that I can to help him with various techniques and strategies that I've built up over the years to try and make things a little easier for him. And you know, the the fact that I've I've been lucky enough to to be at least reasonably successful in in a few things hopefully will make him think that actually I know it's I know it's tough but dad did it I can do it too and for you know for the parents out there that that don't have a diagnosis or or, or don't have a condition you can still be a really really good example to your child because even if the struggles that you had weren't necessarily because of ADHD or something like ADHD you've still had a life where you've had all sorts of challenges so you know you just need to draw on those as well and just try and try and be the best inspiration that you can for your kid. And that's a it's a theme that we keep hearing about positive role models for for children with ADHD. It's so important, isn't it, that they they see that this is not a burden and something that's insurmountable, that in fact, treated in the in, in, in a very kind of thoughtful way, it can be a huge advantage. Yeah, yeah, it, it can. You know, I mean, there are. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there are there are lots of things that I've been able to do that I may not have been able to do if I didn't process information a little differently. And you know, it's it's to try and see where I can recognise those and then and then communicate those and say, look, here's here's an advantage. And you know, it's it's wonderful to be able to say things like GCHQ or whichever other organization it is. I mean, the Harvard Business Review back in, I think, 2017 wrote an incredibly long piece on neurodivergence and how pretty much organizations need to have neurodivergent individuals if they're going to succeed. So there's, you know, there's some pretty, pretty big hitters out there that are also banging home this message that it doesn't have to be bad. That's and great, great for our parents to hear that too. Um. What advice would you give to dads out there or moms indeed who have children with ADHD? And I'd also love your advice about the wider community, maybe parents of children who are not neurodivergent. Yeah, I, you know, advice. Well, I guess I guess the first thing is and I I, I spread this further than just, you know, mums and dads. This is grandparents, aunts, uncles, everybody else is take a deep breath and don't don't blame the child for things that they're struggling to control because they're struggling to control them they're not always doing this sort of stuff on purpose you know so, sometimes they are and finding out when that is can be can be tricky but don't blame them for things that they're clearly struggling with no matter how frustrating it gets and then the second thing is don't blame yourself when you struggle to do that because that's a really hard thing to do you know it's, it's very frustrating to say the same thing 20 times in a row to a child and them still not hear it or do something with it so don't blame yourself when you do get frustrated but just try and keep those things so I guess those are my my two biggest things is don't blame them and then don't blame yourself when you do blame them because we're all human and these sorts of things are going to happen I guess the next thing is you know learn as much as you can about about these conditions there's an awful lot of stuff on the internet out there to to read if you like reading or YouTube videos if you like YouTube videos with some some fairly eminent people. But actually talk to your child and try and try and get them to explain 
what they see happening and what they see as things that are difficult because they will know some of this and they're going to be your, your, your best guide. So ask them what they're feeling. And I, I guess really that the, the final bit, I guess, as a, you know, a parent or a carer is, is don't stop fighting for them. They are the most precious thing that you will ever have. And you need to give them all the opportunities that you can. So don't stop fighting for them. The wider community stuff. Yeah. You know, things like explaining the conditions and some of the challenges is great. Education is really the biggest thing though. You know, it would, wouldn't it be great if neurodivergent conditions were taught at primary school level through to secondary school level and understanding was there for that? Wouldn't it be great if all academic staff and non-academic staff were aware of all of this sort of stuff? Wouldn't it be great if the business community was aware of all of these sorts of things and were able to see where there would be opportunities as well as where there might be some problems? You know, that basically getting everybody to get a better understanding, I think, is is really where where this needs to be. And I think that's a brilliant idea to start awareness in primary school because obviously ADHD starts at birth. You know, we don't need to wait till secondary school to get children to understand the, the you know, the kind of value of difference and, and neurodivergence. How is your experience with the with education? Do you think that there's there's hope in the future for this situation to get better and better with with secondary schools primary schools in in understanding their role or do you think it's already there that's a really good question i'll take the second part first which is do i think it's already there no (laughs) i i I don't i think you know i i still have to have too many conversations trying to say oh but it's this or no you've, you've you've got somebody that needs to move a lot in order to help them process so keeping them in during break time because there's been a behavior that they have no control over isn't going to help the situation. It's going to exacerbate it. You know, so those are the tiring sorts of conversations I was, I was talking about earlier. But is there hope? Yeah, of course there's hope. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be trying to educate people about this if I didn't think there was hope. You wouldn't be doing what you're doing if you didn't think that there was hope. I think there is, there is always hope. We're not there yet. But as you were saying earlier, you know, we've seen quite a shift in not in everybody but in many people that these things are actually real and that they're not bad parenting or bad home life or just naughty kids or just daydreaming kids but there's something real that's going on there so you know we've come a long way from some of the horrific names that we used to have for for ADHD back through the the times of its of its of its development but even ADHD is a really bad name. You know, what is this? This is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. There's no deficit of attention. It's not regulated necessarily in the same way that other people's attention is, but it's certainly not a deficit. Not everybody is hyperactive. So, you know, that's in there. And disorder, well, I guess, you know, it's it's disorder by one set of standards and it's a difference by another. So, you know, we have a we have a label that's not particularly helpful. But we can use the fact that that label isn't helpful to talk about the condition and why the label isn't helpful. So that's, you know, potentially a way in for us as part of, you know, this project hope to uh, to get a better understanding. Fantastic. And 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 I hope it will. I hope your words will will help parents who 
who don't have children who are neurodivergent to understand it better. And even just your explanation of ADHD and how it doesn't quite fit is so helpful. Honestly, for me, you know, it's it it's really it's really great. And it's all pieces in a puzzle, you know, that are helping us understand ADHD better, because I think that's that's the hope, isn't it? Like for everybody to take a little bit of responsibility for understanding this, because we're all members of the same community, aren't we? And we need to understand each other better. We we are actually. And so responsibility, I think I think that's a really important word not just for the non-neurodivergent population, but actually for the neurodivergent population as well. You know, we need to recognise that we're different and we need to take responsibility for our actions. You know, I, one of the things I, I often say to my son is, is the ADHD that he has and that I have, those are explanations for why we find some things more difficult. They're not an excuse to behave badly. They're an explanation and we need to always do the best that we can to try and make life for everybody, not just ourselves, easier. Great. And now we're coming towards the end of our, our conversation for this evening, James. And I'd, I'd, I'd like to know, what would you like parents to know? And how should they, you, you said at the beginning, you said that get informed, find out everything you can about that. And you've clearly done that in spades, actually. So if they want to find out more, how how would you suggest they they guide their research uh, into understanding their child's neurodivergence? Where do you start? Where do you end? So I think the place that you start is by talking to your child, because they will tell you what they're feeling and what they're thinking. And if they're having trouble articulating that, that also tells you something. So start start with your child and and listen to them. You know, if they're two years old and they're babbling some stuff, or they're four or they're five you'll you'll be seeing this certainly by 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 that age you'll be seeing something listen to them if they're in their teens listen to them they're probably your best immediate subjective source of information and i say that because everybody with adhd experiences their adhd differently it's a spectrum condition. So some people will be hyperactive, some people won't. Some people will be daydreamers, some people won't. And there are varying degrees that, that these things will present. And equally, somebody might be hyperactive on one day and inattentive on another day, or they might be both. So these things change. And as our bodies grow and mature, things change a lot as well. So it's, I'm going to get a bit sort of sciencey again, so please, please, you know, kind of stop me if this if this this rambles on too much. But the brain is a continually developing organ for quite a lot of our life, so we don't finish developing our brain until around about 25 years old. And the last bit to develop is the prefrontal cortex. That's the bit at the front, and that's the bit that deals with the stuff that we call executive functions. And there's things like emotional control in there, working memory, and all sorts of things. And the start of that development can be delayed it often is delayed in adhd so that takes a while so somebody's experience of adhd will change as their brain is developing and for some people they'll get to a point where the external presentation of the symptoms just seem to disappear and for others that presentation will change as the brain changes so don't think it's just one thing it's a thing that changes over time for everybody and everybody is different Again, this is why it's important to talk to your child, because you'll get a, a view from them. If you are on social media, you will find all sorts of groups 
where there can be parents of people with ADHD or people with ADHD themselves or people with ADHD who are parents of people with ADHD. And those are a really useful source for a bit of a community feeling. You won't necessarily get hard science in there, but you'll get some understanding of other people's perspectives. I know that um, Abby mentioned ADHD Foundation. And if you Google around for a few ADHD support groups or information pages, you'll find quite a lot. So there's quite a lot out there. And if you have a hunt around on YouTube, try to make sure you find somebody that looks like they're reputable. But you'll find all sorts of things on there with, with people talking about ADHD. Thanks a million, James. Loads of valuable insights and advice you've you've given our parents. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. I don't, I think everybody will have picked up such a lot from it. Not everybody will be going off to do a PhD in it like you <laughs> by the end of it, but um, lots of great information there. Thanks a million for joining us on The Parents Show. Thank you for having me.